Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to Socks on Tap. Tony, I, I, my first reaction is just, fuck yes, let's go. Socks versus Detroit. That's, that's where it all starts. Because it all starts taking care of business in-house in the Central Division. That's right, I'm a meatball. You gotta bring that top button swag, baby. It is always great to beat the Cubs. And I'm a homer, so I always say they're gonna. Dallas Keiko Lansing got some beards that you should be afraid of. What everybody said when he gets out there, it's me versus the other guy, and I'm gonna beat him. So I just love that mentality. It's cool and fucking tough. Steve, Steve, would you say that Tony is mad online? I, I would definitely say that. The White Sox winner. Hello, White Sox fans, and welcome in. It is the Sox on Tap postgame show. Johnny Nani here with NWI Steve. We're cracking them. It's victory beers. White Sox win. Not the prettiest of fashion, but nonetheless, back in the correct column, 8-5 over Cleveland tonight to open this brief two-game set. Steve, you're with me here tonight. Good to see you, man. How you doing? Johnny, hey, yo. I'm doing very well. It's always a good night to beat the Cleveland Indians. And let me ask you this question here. Do I get any credit at all for fixing Jose Abreu? Dude, I think absolutely, and that is something that we're totally going to touch on. I can't wait to, especially after that article that you put out on on tapsportsnet.com today. So, yes, you do get credit. All right. Hey, that works for me. So let's go right into this. <laughs> yeah, let's get into it. Uh, you know, before we do, though, uh, before we do any of this, uh, we always need to go through a little housekeeping, and that's uh, make sure you're going to ontapsportsnet.com for all your Chicago sports literature and podcasting needs. You can follow us on Twitter at SoxOnTap and the main account at ontapsportsnet. Um, when you're looking for White Sox merchandise, Chicago sports merchandise, go to Grandstand. Uh, located right near the ballpark, you can also shop online at GrandstandSox.com. And follow them on social media at Grandstand Sox. So, Steve, like I mentioned, this was a eight to five White Sox winner. Not the prettiest of outings, but overall, initial thoughts here. Bats did enough to negate the slop, and that's where this episode title comes from. It it was nice to see the bats kind of come come to life here a little bit. You know, we've been talking as a group collectively about the fact that this team isn't really hitting for power. So, seeing them hit four home runs tonight was definitely a, a positive and seeing it come from the important core guys in this group. Seeing Jose Abreu hit two home runs. Seeing Yasmani Grandal hit a home run. So really, really positive step forward here. And hopefully they can kind of use this as a springboard and a nice little building block to get the offense going here. Yeah, no, absolutely, Steve. I think that was huge, especially with Jose Abreu. Like you had mentioned, uh, we will talk about that article that you wrote um, a little bit later as soon as we kind of get into the scoring breakdown and where these things happen. But, yes, I agree. Yazbaum was huge, too. Timmy had one of his own as well. Um, and then otherwise um, also able to just stack those eight runs. I think that was huge. Uh, when I, we were talking in our little group chat, I was saying just, you know, just keep adding on. Keep keep pressuring on after uh you know they added those first initial runs so um i think that was a positive takeaway from this and then obviously a negative is the defensive uh slop that, that we saw from yasmani grandal from nick madrigal um your mercedes you know the, the error got charged to nick madrigal at second base on the throne rightfully so but also with him at first um and we also had a little concern injury wise there too so there was just some general slop um uh, let's get into uh first things first with the starting pitcher tonight uh coming off of a no hitter with that top button swag in full force steve carlos Rodon, what did you think of him uh coming back out tonight it's always tough for a pitcher to face the same lineup twice in a very short time frame here. So Carlos Rodon facing this Indians lineup for the second time in six days. Going to be a tremendous challenge, and he had to kind of alter his his approach and his general attack 
as far as how he was going to go about the lineup. And truth be told here, he simply did not have the same type of control and command that he had last Wednesday during the no-hitter, obviously. But the one thing that really impressed me with Rodon tonight was he battled. This is the type of outing that I think three years ago, Carlos Rodon doesn't get out of the second inning. But he went out there, he maintained his composure, he was able to throw enough strikes and and keep the ball off the barrel of, of the bat, so to speak, with the consistency, aside from the Jordan Loop low home run there, um, to really limit the damage. And he, he was able to pitch around some tight scenarios, some he brought on his own uh, by not being effective within the strike zone. But as you mentioned here, there was some sloppy defensive play behind him um, from, you know, Nick Madrigal and from Yasmani Grandal that ultimately led to an elevated pitch count for him. And, you know, the simple fact of the matter is he wasn't quite able to put guys away with the same consistency tonight that we saw a week ago in that outing. Ahmed Rosario, I think, in the second inning had, I think, an eight or nine pitch at bat where he was fouling off uh, four or five pitches. And, and there were two or three different sequences during the course of this game that that happened to that really helped to elevate that pitch count and was the main culprit for the fact that he was only able to get five innings out tonight. Yeah, and I would say it was a gutsy five innings. That's the best way I like to describe it. Gutsy, ballsy, whatever you want to say. I think everybody knew he wasn't going to come out and throw another no-hitter uh, close to a perfect game like he did last Wednesday uh, when these two teams met on the South side of Chicago so um, you know like you had mentioned some external factors uh, out of his control that led to some elevated pitch counts and him not getting through uh, more than five and then also some walks of his own in the you know uh, like you'd said give some credit to Cleveland batters for extending some at bats uh, that did uh, lead to the pitch count getting up there and him only getting through five but nonetheless um, I think that's still like you had said I really like that point that a couple years ago this is probably a game where he does not you know get through two like seriously. Um, so I think that's a, you know, big kind of takeaway uh, that we can talk about here with Carlos Rodon. So I like that. Let's get into a little bit of the scoring plays here. Um, and it would start in the top of the third. Uh, Robert let off the double Vaughn ground out, moved him to third. Uh, Madrigal comes through. Uh, we were talking about this guy on Sunday, Steve, uh, with an RBI ground out. And then Timmy, uh, you know, it just been excellent since returning to the lineup with a solo shot to right center here. Uh, so we're feeling good 2-0 uh, at top of the third here. Two main takeaways from, from this particular inning here, Luis Robert with that leadoff double. Again, we've been seeing this for, I want to say, the last six or seven games now here of him just stringing together quality at bats. And I think this is really a function of him learning and starting to get an understanding of how pitchers are trying to attack him on a game-to-game at-bat-by-at-bat basis. So not only circumstances where he's getting himself into good quality hitters counts, 2-0, 2-1, 3-1, but even circumstances where he's fallen behind in counts 0-2 on guys and understanding, okay, Zach Plesak is going to try to attack me here with a with a breaking ball and anticipating that and being ready for it. And, and we saw that in several instances here today. He He's getting hits on breaking and off-speed pitches right now, which I think most of us can say with a high level of certainty, if this is September of last year, that's not happening. So this is really, I think, very significant in terms of the progression and development of Luis Robert. This guy, if he continues on this trajectory here, he's going to be the monster that we all think he can be. And then and then we got Timmy in there hitting that bomb to straightaway center field. Timmy just being the straw that stirs this drink. Uh, that, that is huge here. Um, and we're talking about uh, the White Sox needing uh, someone like that at the top 
to kind of initiate these sort of things. So um, as we go in the bottom of the third, like you'd mentioned that loop low home run, it was a leadoff solo shot to make it two to one. Um, that was uh, off of Carlos Rodon at this point, obviously. Uh, in the top of the fourth, we got Jose Abreu coming back. So Steve, this is where we need to talk about it. Um, I know you'd have uh, another one later in this game, but uh, let's talk after the first one, because this was as soon as he hit it, everybody knew. You just knew off the sound of the bat. Um that this thing was gone and he absolutely crushed it. Um, looked, it was such a, just a great feeling. I got so excited uh, when I was out at the bar, uh, having some pizza, some beer and watching this thing. This was exactly what I was talking about it in the piece that I wrote for on tap sports earlier today. The fact that Jose Bray simply just to this point coming into tonight has not been aggressive swinging at quality pitches in the strike zone, swinging at strikes more importantly, and it's really been quite a contrast from what we have seen from him since he came over from Cuba and put on a White Sox uniform. So it was extremely refreshing tonight to see him go out there, be aggressive early in counts. And, and this is another thing that I highlighted, the fact that he's just simply taking a lot of first pitch strikes, which is really the antithesis of how he has approached things since he arrived here in the major leagues. So to see him being aggressive early in counts and doing so in the strike zone and doing so with authority. Keep this up, Pito. This is when you're at your best. I, I, I wrote about this pretty extensively here. You are a guy that you are going to be effective and you are going to be a force in the middle of that lineup when you are attacking fastballs early in counts or getting yourself into quality hitters counts and looking to drive the ball, not looking to take walks. Yep, I agree 100%, Steve. And, uh, you know, you can go and check out all that kind of figures and data uh, over at ontapsportsnet.com. I, I believe it's the uh, Abreu Abnormalities. That, that is the first uh, tagline on that title there. Uh, so go and check it out on our White Sox tab over at ontapsportsnet.com. Uh, let's roll through a little bit more. This is where the slop came into play in the bottom of the fourth. Um, first of all, Nick Madrigal. Uh, ground, routine ground ball to second base. Uh, we got Yerman Mercedes still playing first at this point, but Madrigal spikes one uh, into the ground. And sure, did it Mercedes glove here, but Madrigal uh, charged with the air uh, to get the first guy on. That was Rosario. And then Naylor reaches on a catcher's interference from Yaz. So we got a bunch of this piling up here. And it seems like when it rains, it pours. Uh, we got a uh, you know uh, pass ball. It moves runners up. And then Perez walks. Uh, luckily, Chang and Luplo both strike out. Uh, Hernandez hits a hot shot to Moncada kind of deflects off of him, so uh, that allows one to score and put this game at 3-2. Um, and thankfully, Timmy fired home. Uh, he had his you know, head on straight there and, and got it back and uh, nailed the runner at home to get the third out of this inning. But, man, Steve, uh, some of the slop here, like you'd mentioned, uh, did, I'll let you go and elaborate because you and I, I think, have had our fair share of words about Nick Madrigal on the show, and unfortunately, we got another defensive blunder to talk about here. Okay. This is very simple here. I know there there are some people out there that were saying, and I think Johnny, you know, you you had kind of said that from your perspective, this looks a little tougher on your mean Mercedes than it does on Nick Madrigal. I don't see it that way personally. Um, I understand he's a midget. I understand he's four foot six, but you're forty feet away from the base. Make the damn throw on a line, especially when you know you got a guy playing first base that has never been there before. Put something behind a throw, okay? Coach Steve Ruzich over at uh, South Suburban College used to say to us all the time, whether it's during infield or or on a routine ground ball in the course of a game, you got an arm, show it off, okay? So Nick Madrigal, I don't want to see any more of this lollipop bullshit. I don't care if you are that close to the bag. 
throw the damn ball through the first baseman. Okay. You extended Carlos Rodon's pitch count now because of that. And now you taxed your bullpen because of this nonsense. Yasmani Grandal, the catcher's interference again. I don't know what the issue is here, but Jerry Naren needs to be doing some work with him pregame tomorrow. And when they get back to Chicago on Friday, they need to get this situation straightened out because as they talked about on the broadcast, this is now the fourth instance of a catcher's interference of which only three of them were called because this happened uh, previously over the weekend and Cleveland decided to take the, the outcome of, of the play versus the actual catcher's interference itself. But for it to be happening this frequently within the first three weeks of the season here, something needs to get addressed with this very quickly because this is a, a scenario that cannot be allowed to continue because, again, you're forcing your pitchers to have to make unnecessary pitches, adding to the pitch count, getting pulled and removed from games quicker than they normally would, and now you're taxing that bullpen even more. That has to stop immediately. And I think one of the most important plays – and one of the most important aspects of this game that is not going to show up in a box score that you have to really be paying attention to notice this on the Cesar Hernandez base hit when it, when it does get to Moncada and, and when it ricochets off of him, Tim having the presence of mind to be in the right spot right there, to corral that ball, to keep it from getting to the outfield. And then Josh Naylor, running through a stop sign inexplicably right there. But Timmy having the the wherewithal and, and the foresight to be in the right spot and then being able to make a, a quality throw to get the ball to Mancata and then for him to then turn around and throw the ball to, to Grandal to get Naylor at the plate. That kept the Sox from, from relinquishing the lead. If that run scores, all of a sudden now you're looking at a 3-3 three to three game the entire complexion of the game could change from that standpoint. All of a sudden the team could be deflated. So that's something that again, is not going to show up in a box score, but Timmy being in the right spot, knowing where he's supposed to be. That is a huge play right there. Yeah. And you saw the hustle on the backup there because he did have to go a little bit with the way uh, that it did ricochet off of Moncada. So uh, yes, once again, I will give props to Tim Anderson like you just did there. Uh, And then obviously the arm to get it there in plenty of time uh, and nail the runner at home uh, to kind of end this thing, squash it in the bud uh, before it got too excessive because this thing could have been a complete shit show of an inning. So luckily only one comes across there. It's three, two socks here after the bottom of the fourth. Uh, next scoring would occur in the top of the six when uh, the White Sox got to Plesak. And, you know, it became in the first inning uh, last Wednesday at uh, the guaranteed rate field. Now it came, uh, it took a little bit, you know, they chipped away a couple before, uh, but they really started uh, coming at him here uh, in the six. And that was an Eaton leadoff single. Moncada ropes an RBI double, just beautiful to see. Um, and that made it four to two White Sox at this point. Uh, Abreu comes through with an RBI single to make it five, two Sox. And this would chase Plesak from the game. Steve, what were they doing uh, in both in this and then the one before that uh, has been able to get to Plesak? Because this guy is a fairly formidable arm. Um, how are the White Sox able to beat this guy? Well, I think what I think what happened in particular in this inning here, and Stone and Benetti had talked about this at the outset of the game, I think through the first two innings, was that Plesak, he himself changed his approach 
in this particular start versus the outing last Wednesday. He was very change-up heavy that first time through the Sox order. That second time through the order, the Sox started to kind of sit back on it a little more and start to anticipate that change-up coming there. And what happened in particular here with the Yohan Mankata at bat, and, and Stone really kind of dove into this and was really kind of taken Plesak to the woodshed for this was he started out the at-bat with two consecutive fastballs, that second fastball that got hit into the gap for the RBI double. You had Mancata out in front in the, in the previous at-bat utilizing the changeup, and then he just completely went away from it and then all started, you know, really started featuring the fastball. And that's when this team started to make the adjustment offensively here going at that fastball early in the counts. And we saw that the next hitter again with Jose Abreu jumping on a fastball early in the count here, driving a ball hard up the middle and getting another RBI. So I think it was a, a conscious effort on, on the Sox part there of saying, okay, if this guy's going to make the mistake of throwing us a fastball, we're going to be aggressive in the strike zone and we're going to tattoo the shit out of it. And that's what happened. Yeah, and that's exactly what they did. Uh, good good points all around there, Steve. This was 5-2 uh, at the time when Plesek exited the game. Uh, Lurie pops out in a bunt attempt after that, uh, but then we get the Yaz man. Sure, you can talk about the pass balls, the catcher's interference, uh, but he did come through at the plate in this particular juncture uh, with a two-run home run to make it 7-2 to here in the top of the six. Um, unfortunately, the White Sox weren't able to tack on after that, despite a, a Luis Robert and Andrew Vaughn single uh, both following that up. Uh, uh, but either way, uh, Yasman here, you know, we could talk about uh, some of the issues like you'd mentioned him and Jerry Naren needing to nail some things out here. But I think this can kind of get lost in the shuffle, uh, even though it was a nice, massive shot to right center. Um, it, it will get lost in the shuffle because of some of the defensive issues. So um, you had talked about it in your article about Jose Abreu, these other guys needing to, you know, pick up some slack as well. So it's not all the onus on him. Uh, and obviously you got that from Timmy. You got an RBI double from Mancata. You got a, another, you know, two run home run from Yaz here. So uh, I, I think that's big, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. You had all your, your big key players in that particular inning and in that sequence right there doing what they are expected to do and getting good quality pitches to hit and driving them with authority. That was what this team needs to see happen. And then even after the Yasmani Grandal home run, as you, as you mentioned, Johnny, Luis Robert follows it up with another quality at bat, another base hit, and even Andrew Vaughn then ropes one in. The only thing that was particularly distressing in that sequence was Yuri Garcia. And I actually, I really want to know about this. Did he do that on his own or did Tony La Russa call that? I really want to know the answer to this because if that was a situation and I'm assuming that Larry did that on his own um, because I, I can't imagine calling for a bunt in that situation here, but I really hope that someone that follows the team that has access to Tony La Russa after the game asks him that question because that can't happen in that spot right there. When you've got a guy on the ropes and you've got a chance to put a team away, you can't be giving away and out like that. Yeah, I would, I'm would. i kind of inclined to think that it was on his own as well because I do think we have seen a few uh, that have been drop downs on uh, his own. Uh, so, well, 
Don't know for sure exactly. Can't confirm here on the post game show, but I would be a little bit inclined to believe that. But uh, nonetheless, uh, this game would be seven to two after the top of the six. Uh, and then Jose Bray, uh, we talked all about it again. Um, you know, with, with the monster shot earlier in the game, but he would have another one here uh, in the seventh. Not as long, uh, not, not as hard hit. But still, nonetheless, gets out of the ballpark, still gets the same result. Uh, that makes it 8-2 to White Sox in the top of the seventh inning. Uh, and then in the bottom of the seventh, uh, Cleveland would strike back with a run. Uh, a little bit of uh, walk issues here with Luplo and then Hernandez both reaching via free passes. Uh, and then Reyes eventually brings one home with an RBI single here, 8-3 to three White Sox at this point. Uh, and Cleveland would tack on a couple more in the bottom of the ninth. Sox would have to go to Liam Hendricks eventually to close this thing down with Cody Hoyer flailing a little bit here. So let's talk about some of these bullpen guys that were, uh, you know, uh, kind of leading, leaving this, door open a little bit more than White Sox fans would have liked. Uh, not, not as reassuring uh, as you would hope for uh, the talent that is in the back end of this thing. Uh, after Rodon, obviously we had Marshall. He looked clean in that first inning right after. Uh, but then Bummer, Crochet, Hoyer, and Hendricks. Uh, obviously Crochet had a couple of walks there in just a third of an inning. Uh, and then Hoyer getting touched in the ninth to the point to where Hendricks had to come in and slam that last out home. So uh, observations from the pen tonight, Steve. It's really simple for me uh, between Aaron Bummer and, and I'll start with him again. Everyone knows I'm one of the leading members of the Aaron Bummer fan club. He's got to throw strikes. He's got to go in there and he's got to attack the strike zone early. This is, I think maybe the third or fourth time now we've seen him come into a game here and walk the leadoff hitter. And we're even seeing him having issues going directly at and attacking left-handed hitters, which that should not be happening under any circumstance. He needs to be going out there and just burying these guys right from the outset. You got an eight to three lead in this spot and your two primary lefty relievers are both having issues commanding the strike zone. That's something that simply can't happen. And it unfortunately has been a little bit of an issue. Crochet to this point in the season hasn't necessarily had the control issues from the walk standpoint, but he's his command has not been what we saw from him in his brief cup of coffee during the 2020 season. And we're not seeing him really go out there and just bury guys and end it bats the way that we did a year ago. So this is something that Ethan Katz and, and these two guys, they really need to sit together, look at the tape, look at the data, see what is happening here. And they need to figure out and formalize a plan of attack to get these issues corrected here, because the Sox need these two guys on the back end of this bullpen here. They're lucky that this was an eight to three game and not a, a three to two, four to two game going in there, because if they're coming in there and if they're having the inability to, to command the strike zone with regularity that we've seen of late, um, this, this team's all of a sudden going to be, in a tougher spot here from a bullpen that we all thought myself included was going to be amongst the best in the league. They simply haven't performed to that level at this juncture and they got to get it figured out here quickly. Yeah, but I would agree. Uh, adjustments to be made. And I think that is something that Ethan Katz can really kind of shine in uh, that role uh, when you're talking about that, because if these guys come out and start, you know, getting back to that form totally uh, and they put it together and string together. And obviously it looks better when, you know, one guy can be off one game, but if they go and string it together and they all look good in succession uh, in one game, I think that can really, you'll start to say, Oh, well, what did Ethan Katz do to fix these guys? Uh, I think that kind of change could be on the horizon because the talent is just there. 
uh, and it just needs to be, you know, like I said, refocused uh, or recalibrated, whatever it is, uh, to actually apply it within the game setting uh, and get the desired results uh, that we all kind of expected uh, from this bullpen, uh, just given uh, the names uh, that are in there. So um, nonetheless, uh, you know, like I said, the bats able to negate some of that slap. Uh, I think you made a good point in that they're lucky. It was that sort of uh, kind of margin of runs in between them uh, in the Cleveland Indians tonight. Um, so that did not uh, prove costly for the ultimate result of this game. Uh, White Sox are able to take it despite um, all of these kind of issues defensively and on the mound command wise uh, that we talked about. Uh, so uh, that wraps this thing up at the end of the day, Steve, I know, you know, baseball is, we can go and dissect every little tiny thing here, but at the end of the day, winning's better than losing. And I'm glad to be back in the win column. I will always take a win at the expense of the Cleveland Indians. I don't care how it looks. I don't care if it's 12, nothing. I don't care if it's 11 to nine in ugly fashion, beat those sons of bitches. I don't care. Just get it done. I love that. Uh, that's that's exactly what we're driving for here at Socks on Tap. So uh, we're, we're going to round out this series tomorrow uh, evening, and it's just as quick two-game set before White Sox, uh, like you mentioned, have that off day and then come back home uh, to open a nine-game homestand. So uh, well, let's look at this next little finale of this two-game series, and that will be Wednesday, April 21st, of course, 5, 10 p.m. Central time start again, NBC Sports Chicago, um, you know, We've got Aaron Savali on the mound for the Indians and the White Sox still TBD here as things stand while we're recording this. Uh, So we would assume a bullpen day. Before we got on, you had an interesting theory. Let's air it out for the listeners. Okay. So given the fact that the Sox have an off day coming up here on Thursday and then following the three-game set at home against the Texas Rangers this weekend, they have another off day on Monday. So they got two off days in a very short time frame here. I will not be surprised at all if even tomorrow or Friday, when this team gets back home to Chicago, Carlos Rodon's shoulder suddenly becomes really sore after throwing 114 pitches in his no-hit performance last week and then 110 pitches in five innings today. I would not be shocked in the slightest if he all of a sudden ends up with that sore shoulder and gets DL'd retroactive to tonight. Keep in mind, Lance Lynn is eligible to come off the off of the injured list Tuesday the 27th against the Detroit Tigers. So because of the off days, the Sox can actually manipulate this rotation such that they don't have to call up another starter for the rest of you know the the series here against Cleveland and then through the Detroit series. So they can actually kind of maneuver things here. They can still call up Jimmy Lambert or Jonathan Stever to have that extra arm in the bullpen here, but you'd be able to just stick with your regular normal starting rotation there and just kind of rearrange the furniture a little bit. So that's a little bit of a luxury of the schedule right there. As far as tomorrow goes, I'm wondering if maybe if they don't, do this little DL shenanigans with Rodon right away to maybe bring up Stever or Lambert for that spot start. Depending on how he feels, maybe Michael Kopech comes back out for, for an opener for two, three innings, depending on pitch count again, and then just try to piece things together after that. Yeah. And, you know, I love it because, you know, usually we have like a separate section here. Where we can kind of 
wrap this in with the game preview uh, of this upcoming uh, matchup and, and put tinfoil hat time in here, Steve. I love it uh, because that is, you know, if you go ahead and see that, uh, then don't say you weren't warned ahead of time or, or made aware uh, because I definitely could see something like that happening, especially given the high pitch counts uh, that happened. Obviously, no hitter. You're going to get up there. And then tonight uh, you had to work because of some of the slop that we had just talked about in the recap previously. So uh, it would not be uh, far-fetched and shocked to see that, but otherwise, Way. Uh, they are going to have to piece together something like that. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked either because he was not used tonight. Uh, he hasn't been used since that start on Sunday in Boston. If you do see Michael Kopech, even if it's just for two uh, to start, so that, that would be, you know, he really proved that he was solid out of the gate uh, from the get go on Sunday. So I would not be shocked to see that. Um, you got anything on police, or excuse me, uh, on Savali, who, who we will see uh, here in, in this finale? It'll be interesting to see how the Indians and how Savali maybe adjust his game plan and his approach. He obviously had a pretty strong outing against the Sox last week. They're very slider heavy. Um, This is a guy that pretty much fits the mold of most of the Cleveland Indian pitchers. Not going to have that overpowering fastball. He's going to just be 92, 93 with that, but he's going to use a lot of his secondary offerings. He had tremendous success with that on Thursday. So we'll see if he alters and kind of goes away from that approach a little bit, maybe utilizes a fastball a little bit more, or if they just try to say, Hey, it worked well last time. We think it can work again. And if they just try to overload the Sox hitters again with breaking balls, and then it's incumbent upon the Sox hitters to make the adjustment here against that slider, kind of stay back on it, take the pitches that are out of the zone, get some deeper counts and and then sit on and try to wait for that fastball. So um, that's definitely something I'm going to be watching for right there tomorrow with Aaron Savali. All right. Yeah, I love it. I think that does a good job running down this preview. I guess the last thing is to get a pick to click. Who you got? Uh, Pick to click for tomorrow. You know what? I'm going to go Timmy. I'm going to say he's going to go back to back games with a dinger here. I dude, I, I love it. And, you know, he has been excellent since returning from uh, the IL stint that he had there. So uh, I'm glad, first of all, that it was not anything more serious and it hasn't, you know, kind of lingered uh, because we have seen some of that with guys coming back. I think not necessarily him, but others in the Yohan Mankata ilk uh, where it still kind of lingers even after they come back and they're playing. So I really like that pick. Uh, I'm going to go with Luis Robert, a guy who's just had solid at bats so far uh, and not, you know, I've kind of expected him to be kind of the more free stringing and you'll see that every once in a while you know he struck swung at a pitch above his eyes uh, one of the last ones but that came after some really solid at bats in which he was able to do damage uh earlier on and then you know just from the course of work before that uh throughout the homestand and the first road trip of the year uh wh- where he drew some walks which i was just kind of blown back by, uh, I guess, initially here in the season. So I'll go with Luis Robert. I like it. You got Timmy there. Uh, That about wraps up uh, this show. Once again, we just recapped a White Sox 8-5 to winner here to open this brief two-game set in Cleveland and give you a little rundown of what to expect in the series finale. So uh, thank you for tuning in, all of our listeners that did. Uh, Hey, hey Johnny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just just thought of one other little factoid here that uh, I think our listeners will enjoy. With this win tonight, the White Sox already have more wins against the Cleveland Indians than they did in all of 2020. Wow. That see that, that that's that's kind of stuff that you tune into Sox on tap here for. Yeah. Um like you'd mentioned they played that four game series, split that, so they got two. Uh and from that one, 
three uh, tonight. Let's make it fucking four tomorrow, Steve. Let's go. Like you'd said, any let's way, go. anyhow, let's beat these Cleveland Indians. So, uh, listeners, make sure you're going to ontapsportsnet.com for all your Chicago sports literature and podcasting needs. Follow us on Twitter at Socks on Tap and at Ontap Sportsnet. Go subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts, and you'll get these right in your queue as soon as they drop. Uh, when you're shopping for your White Sox merchandise, go to Grandstand. That's GrandstandSox.com at GrandstandSox on social media in their physical location right by the ballpark. So, Steve, that does it. Let's get a damn mini sweep here tomorrow. White Sox forever. White Sox for life. <laughs>